It's happened a number of times in our study through numbers. We've come to a section, and before us, uh, the material, at least on the surface, it seems like it's going to be a real sermon snoozer because it's just a list of places and names that we can hardly pronounce. And, and in chapter 33, it's all history. And in chapter 34, it's all geography. And, and many of us, we, we don't know all these places. But this is God's living act of word. This is double than, uh, this is like a double-edged sword. The word of God has been given to us as it's been breathed out by God and it is useful for teaching, for training, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we come this evening to God's word must come confidently. That we will be taught this evening about our faithful God, his faithfulness to his people in the past and the promise of his goodness in their future and indeed in our future. As we get to chapter 33, God's people really are now preparing to enter into the promised land. We're going to finish this series in three Sunday evenings from now. We'll do 33, 34 this evening, then 35, and then 36, and we're done. Now, Dick's nearly at the end as well as of Joshua, which is great, so I don't think I'm going to start in Deuteronomy. <laughs> But you should read Deuteronomy, which is the book that follows on from Numbers, because there's more that God's people need to be told before they enter the land. But really, this is, sets up the beginning for Joshua. Now, God commands Moses here in chapter 33 that he wanted a record of all of the places they'd been. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under their leadership, under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord. And these are their stages according to their starting places. So we're going to look back to thank God. Now, I don't know if it's the same in your household or when you were growing up that if you were ever on a journey with your parents or if you've got children now and you're on a journey, Even as soon as a child learns to speak, it's like there's innate knowledge in them to ask this question when they're on a journey. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? As soon as Theo started speaking and we started driving up to Scotland, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like, Theo, we're not there yet. Enough four hours to go. Now, just imagine for a moment, right? God's people leave Egypt. And the children start asking their parents, are we there yet? 40 years. Are we there yet? No, another 39 years to go. Are we there yet? No, number, another 38, 37, 36. Can you imagine that? No, we won't be there for another year. Now, the reason I bring that to attention, because in this passage before, God's people journeyed in the wilderness for 40 years... And they camped in 42 different places. Again, can you imagine that? Anyone here like camping? If you know me, I despise it. Duke of Edinburgh Award, like it haunts me. I don't ever want to go back into a tent. Glamping, fine. Hotels, better. Not camping. In fact, this passage, I think, right justifies me in my view. 
It was a judgment from God that God's people had to be 40 years camping in the wilderness. Right? He gave us hotels. Now, now, it's one thing if you and I go camping and, and there's all of that, you know, preparation, getting the tent up, finding the poles, finding the right place to camp, putting the pins in, struggling to get them in, and then, you know, packing up camping. That's the worst. Like, who invented tents to go into these tiny small bags that they just takes ages to go? Can you imagine being God's people and every time you had to set up camp, and every time you had to take down camp, you actually had to go through a ceremonial ritual because, remember, tabernacle was to come down. And God's holy items were to be carried properly. This was no small thing. Forty-two times over, in 40 years, God's people had to set up and move on. Now, when we were reading through just the first 16 verses of chapter 33, I don't know if it struck you what Moses records and what Moses doesn't record. Moses records, as he mentions various uh, times God's people moved on from different places, God's faithfulness. He says there, doesn't he, in verse Three, that on the day after Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians. How God, the Lord, had struck down their firstborn. He'd executed his judgment. In verse 8, he speaks of them having to set out for and then pass across the midst of the sea into the wilderness. In verse 9, he mentions Mara and them coming to Elam. Remember that oasis in the desert, the 12 springs of water and the 70 palm trees. He mentions places like Rephidim. And if you've got a biblical knowledge, you'll remember what happened in these places, how God provided them food from heaven. The, the most amazing thing about Moses as he records the past, as he looks back, is it's A story of God's faithfulness. God led them at every turn. With a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God quenched their thirst from the water, from the rock. God fed their hungry bellies from, with food from on high, the manna. That ultimately was actually pointing towards Jesus, the bread of heaven, the bread of life. God was faithful to them. Now I can imagine that in those 40 years, in those 42 different campsites, there were extraordinary moments, you know, God defeating their, their, their enemies, the Egyptians. But there must have been a lot of ordinary moments. You know, Monday mornings on the campsite, setting up the campfire. Wednesdays, playing with the kids by the river. Fridays, going a hike. And in all those moments, God was faithful. That's noticing what is recorded, but did it strike any of you what is not recorded? That is actually the most, in in one sense, the most striking thing. What is not recorded? The sins of God's people. 
And it's so striking because nearly every time we read about a place, sin, that's where God's people grumbled. That's where God's people complained. That's where God's people rebelled. That's where God's people, Sinai, made a golden calf and none of it's mentioned. Why? Because as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed his people's sins. So when God's people look back, what do they remember? They remember God's faithfulness. And they remember that he was faithful to forgive them of all their sins. They can mention place names and they don't even need to mention a sin associated with those places. You know, as we try and apply this to our life, let's be honest, the Christian life is a journey, isn't it? And you and I, we've come a long way. You might have been a Christian for a month. You might have been a Christian for a year. You might have been a Christian for 10 years, a Christian for 40 years. But in all of it, God has led us and God has guided us. God has been good to us. God has been faithful to us. And this evening we can look back. And before we look back at our own story, we should look back at Christ's story. Because as those who are united to Christ... Our past is his past. You know, Christ's perfect life lived here on earth. We, we read about it in the Confession of Faith. He's our mediator and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. You know the most amazing thing about that? Christ's perfect past, Christ's life lived, perfect obedience is now your past. So when you look back to your past, make sure you remember the innocence and the perfect holiness of your Savior. Because it's yours. And the cross, who died on the cross, Jesus Christ, and you with him. Your sins, dead and buried. The resurrection, that's your resurrection. You were raised with him because you're united to him. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is the same spirit of God that dwells in you and me. Remember your past. Your past is Christ's past. And your future is Christ's future. You know, um, just the other week there, it was, it was my two-year anniversary here in LCPC. And one of the spiritual disciplines that one of my mentors taught me when I was a new Christian was, it's good to journal. It's good to write down a record as often as you can of your prayers. It's good to remember what, what the people you've met, brothers and sisters or non-Christian people that God has brought in your path. It's good to remember events. And I can remember now over two years ago, coming here to preach with a view and, 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 and preaching and then writing about it. God, I preached in LCPC. The congregation was warm. The, it was a great day. And just recording that, those moments. And, and a big thing happened in between what happened next was Marina was pregnant with Ellie and Ellie was to be born. And the night I heard that the congregation here had called me, we were in the labor room. And I was desperate for Marina to say that I could agree to this call. And she was like, you're having a baby. 
God's goodness and faithfulness I can look back on and he led me, he guided us as a family. He gave us a daughter. And so if I can give you any practical advice, make it a habit to take a record of what God is doing in your life. So that you can look back and you can say with John Newton, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. His grace had brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. And aren't you grateful? And even if you look back to your past, even if you can remember, and we all have stained in our memories those spectacular times when we've sinned, that God, he doesn't remember it. You know, God can do what you and I can't do. He can choose to forget. And you and I can't right now with our fallen bodies and our fallen minds pray to God that he would give you a sanctified memory so you would remember what he wants you to remember. His faithfulness. And the big point is God's people were to thank God as they looked back to the past. And you and I need to thank God. Or thank him for what he's done for us. And to thank him for what he's doing for us. And to thank him that even tonight, he is faithful to us. Then we come to chapter 34, and it's God's people invited to look forward. And in chapter 34, the, the great thing about it is that God lays out before his people the boundaries of the promised land. Um, you know, last week, and I, and I want to stick with it, when I preached that passage, I, I said, I don't know whether the two and a half tribes, what they did was right or wrong. Like, was it sin when they requested it? But when I read chapter 34, I, I leaned to the side that it wasn't sin. When I read chapter 34, I think it got a bit more clarity, right? So just skip down to verse 13. Moses commanded the people of Israel, this is chapter 34, verse 13, Moses commanded the people of Israel saying, this is the land that you shall inherit by law, which the Lord has commanded to give the nine tribes and to the half tribe. For the tribe of the people of Reuben by father's houses and the tribe of the people of Gad by their father's houses have received their inheritance. And also the half tribe of Manasseh, the two tribes and the half tribe have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan, east of the Jericho, towards the sunrise. So, the land becomes their inheritance. Now, what, what is amazing about this section of God's word is that God now tells them about the land that they're about to settle in and to enjoy and to rest. They're coming home. And we don't know all the geography, or at least I don't know. Some of you might be experts in um, the, the, the Canaan, Palestine, Israel, what, what it is today. I'm no expert whatsoever. But what a moment it must have been when Moses recorded for the people of God at the command of God that, that which was theirs. They'd been 40 years in the wilderness with no home. And Moses says, let me read you what's going to be our home. And he mentions these place names. And he mentions these areas by the sea, fertile, lush land. Their borders have been marked out. 
God's lines have fallen in pleasant places. They are about to get their glorious inheritance. Their journey is at an end. Now, how would you respond if you were one of God's people hearing this? With joy and with excitement and with a real sense of anticipation and a real sense of thankfulness at the generosity of God. He has given you the expansiveness of this land that lies beyond the Jordan River. And the people of God know that as they look to that land, that it is theirs. Signed, sealed by the will of God. God says he's given it to them. God says he will drive out their enemies as they go into that land. God says this is for him. And they've got so much evidence in their past that God will make good on his promise. Now, for you and I as Christians this evening, especially after what we're looking at this morning regarding our future glory, you and I as Christians, how should we, how should we respond to the fact that you and I are going to inherit the new heavens and the new earth? How should you and I respond to the knowledge that our inheritance is being kept in heaven for us, shielded by God's power? It can never spoil, fade. How do you and I respond that we have the most a glorious inheritance ever. We are going to live in the new heavens and new earth and God is going to dwell with us in the midst of us. Knowing our future should really help us as we live in the present. So if you've got a Bible there, I need you to see your future. I need you to see what is promised to you in Christ. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21. And I want all of us to, to get excited. I want all of us to be so amazed and overawed and bowled over by God's generous provision for us. Revelation chapter 21. Let me read verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers 
will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. This is your future. This is my future if we're in Christ. New heavens, new earth. No sickness, no suffering, no dying. God's healing hand, God's caring hand. God living with us. We, he will be our God and we will be his son. We will be just as Jesus to him in the new heaven and new earth. Like, if this doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. This is ours in Christ. Look at chapter 22. Then the angel showed me, verse 1, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is, this is ours. This is our inheritance and it's so important that we set it before our mind's eye. Because as we journey through this land and as difficult and as hard as it is, we can endure. Because we set our eyes, we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who himself endured hostility, who himself scorned the shame of the cross, endured it all for the joy that was set before him, you and I. And so we can endure. We can endure this life in this fallen world with the knowledge of what is ours as we think of the future it must impact our present and it must fill us with hope so when you go to work tomorrow you can endure work it's what god's given you to do it's what god's prepared in advance for you to do God wants you to do it with all your might and with all your strength and to his glory because you're not serving your earthly master. You're serving him, your heavenly master. As, as, as you seek to love your spouse or love your children or as you seek to live a life of contentment and, or, or, as, you're, as you enjoy the season of singleness that God has given you, do so with confidence because you know that one day you're going to be united. with the groom the Lord Jesus Christ who laid his life down for the bride the church you and I this week 
I was in a prayer meeting. There was an elderly couple there. And they both prayed. And as I listened to their prayers, I found tears coming to my eyes. And I said, welling up. And one of the reasons I welled up is because the elderly man who is deeply unwell, he's got cancer. He's even thankful that the doctors found more cancer because he's trusting in God with his future. But it was what he prayed that really brought tears to my eyes. He prayed, God, I want to come home. I'm ready to come home. I know that home with you is far better than here and now. And I know he believed it with every fiber of his being. And he also said, but I know you want me right now to go on living here. And so his future hope impacted his present reality. Brothers and sisters, we must set before our eyes our future hope. And we must let it impact our present. Let us trust in our God. Knowing what he's done for us in the past. Knowing what he's promised us in the future. And as we live in the present, he has us here for a purpose. And we can endure until it's his time to call us home and to give us what is his amazing gift. Let's pray. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a God we worship and we adore. God, we could fall down on our faces this evening because we are so thankful. Thankful for your faithfulness to us in the past. Thank you that you've rewritten the story of our past in the life of Christ. Thank you that you've rewritten our future. And oh God, we pray. We pray that as we are filled with thankfulness that you would grow us in our gratitude and that this evening and this this week that lies ahead that our gratitude would fuel us to live faithfully to you in the present god may we be a people of deep and unshakable hope may we fix our eyes on jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith and may we be a people who rejoice and who are excited about what lies ahead of us. Lord, I pray for my brother and sister in Christ as they wait to see what you will do. But I thank you for their witness this week to me. And I pray, and I pray for us that we would, as a church family, live with the same confidence and live with the same hope. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.